Students are hiding under their desks, and tanks are driving down the streets of Sudan after fighting erupted over the weekend between Sudan's army and the Rapid Support Forces paramilitary group. All of this, as food, water and medicine were running short, street battles have raised alarms regionally and internationally, causing the US, UK, EU, UAE and Saudi Arabia, among others, to call for calm. The UN even brokered a three-hour ceasefire, which collapsed shortly after it began. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Nada Al-Tahir, and today we'll be talking about Sudan, where a catastrophic situation is unfolding. For more, we're joined by our foreign correspondent, Hamza Hindawi, as we try and understand all that has happened over the last few days. Welcome, Hamza. Thank you. So, Hamza, what are people on the ground actually saying? What are they witnessing? What are they seeing? Well, as you can imagine, this is a war that's being fought on the streets of a city of nearly 7 million people. People are cowering at their homes. They're not keen on venturing out, but they do to get food and medicine for their children, for their loved ones. Uh, Power and water supplies are intermittent and homes are being constantly rocked by the thud of artillery and the uh, jet fighters that are flying low over the city. It is, it's not a pretty situation. It is the kind of fighting that Khartoum had never witnessed before, even though the city was, the, uh, was briefly the battlefield of coup attempts and coups over the 60-plus years since independence. Do we know why all this started? What is the rift between the two uh, warring parties that sparked all of this? Let me start with saying that the rapid support forces and the army have been locked in a marriage of convenience that was significantly uncomfortable since the overthrow in 2019 of dictator Omar al-Bashir. They were partners representing the military side in a partnership with pro-democracy movement in an administration that took office in 2019, and then again in the administration, which is led by the military following a coup in October 2021. This particular conflict is a culmination of months of tension between army chief and military ruler, General Abdul Fattah al-Burhan, and the RSF commander, General Dagalu, better known as Hameti. Ostensibly, this fight is about disagreements over the integration into the armed forces of the RSF, the rabbit support forces. Clearly, General Hameti does not want his force to be integrated into the army because by doing so, he loses his leverage that has increased significantly since 2019 with modern weaponry, more men in uniform, recruiting foreign military advisors to train his troops and procuring arms abroad. So the RSF, while in Syria as part of the armed forces, has enjoyed significant autonomy that only increased after the fall of dictator al-Bashir in 2019. It was an untenable situation. It was, in fact, an independent army operating away from the hierarchy of the armed forces. The clashes that began on Saturday and have so far left nearly 200 civilians killed and many more civilians and army and RSF personnel injured was expected 
but no one had foreseen the magnitude of the violence to be anywhere near what has actually unfolded over the past few days. So Hamza, it seems that Sudan was on the cusp of implementing um, the agreement that was reached in 2019 between the civilians and the military, and it looked like they were very close to getting there in the past few months. Does the situation on the ground mean that all of that is now dead? Sudan has been on the cusp of so many things since the overthrow of al-Bashir in 2019. They have always come very, very close to all sorts of agreements, ambitious agreements, uh, lofty goals, but they've always stumbled. The hurdles posed by many of the stakeholders in Sudan. And the military has always been very close to the political life, the political landscape, if you wish, uh, in Sudan. The military has seized power numerous times over the last 60-plus years, uh, leaving the civilians in power for very short spells of time. Everyone was optimistic in December when the military, and in the wider sense, meaning it includes RSF and the civilian politicians of the pro-democracy movement, they reached an, uh, an initial agreement back in December But even calling that an agreement is an overstatement because they left out some of the thorniest issues to be sorted out later. Well, that later never came. And as far as we know, the final stumbling block was the integration of the RSF into the armed forces as part of the long-time demand by the pro-democracy movement for reform in the army, the police, and the security agencies. No one realistically expected General Hemeti to give up the command, the control of a hundred thousand combat seasoned, heavily armed men who have menacingly been deployed throughout Khartoum since 2019. Everyone knew it was a question of time before the situation explodes between the army and the RSF. What people did not know that these The two parties have the audacity and the short-sightedness of fighting it out in the streets of the capital. It is ugly. It's something that had not been seen in Khartoum, despite of its long troubled histories of military coups and civil wars, but no one had anticipated it. This is not even street battles where people are shooting at each other with Kalashnikovs or heavy machine guns. We're talking here tanks, rocket launchers, and on the army side, jet fighters. I guess that's an answer to my next question, although I would like you to elaborate. We have seen a massive international rally to end this battle that's been going on the past few days. And as you said, has devastating impacts. But why? Why does the world care so much about what's happening in Sudan? I mean, everybody from east to west, from the Middle East to the EU, they're calling for peace. Why Sudan? Sudan is a tragically underdeveloped nation, but it's also a vast nation that sits, or let me, for for better phrasing, it links the Middle East to the heart of Africa. But while Sudan seems to be impoverished and one And many people get the impression that what happens in Sudan does not really impact on anyone outside Sudan. That is not true. 
take Egypt, for example. To Egypt, Sudan is the actual extension of national security of Egypt. Now, think about the long Red Sea coastline that Sudan has. That is strategic at a time when world powers are vying and regional powers, I hasten to add, are vying for influence, for leverage, for control of the Red Sea and the strategic waterways linking the Gulf and Asia to Europe through the Suez Canal. Not only that, at, at this point of our lives, the whole world is suffering from food shortages, soaring food prices. And how does Sudan come into this? Sudan has immense potential to be not just a food basket for the region, but a food basket for the entire world. I know this is tired, and it's a cliche that has been used for many years, even decades, but the potential remains there. All that Sudan needs is stability and durability. So investors from the region or beyond can go in there and tap that potential for the benefit of the region and perhaps the entire world. So before any of this happened and while we were still talking about a political uh, power sharing agreement, the it seemed that the um, civilian powers on the ground, the opposition, if you will, had a lot of say and sway and their voices were heard and their calls were heeded. Um, and But what? where do they stand right now? What is their power, if at all? Does it exist even? Okay, let me just point out the initial agreement reached in December was not about power sharing. It was clear cut. The military quits politics. The economic empire built by the military should be dismantled or handed over to the finance ministry to run and for the RSF to be integrated into the armed forces and for a civilian, possibly the prime minister, heading the security and military council of the country. It's ambitious, almost dreamy, and it's only for anyone who's been observing Sudan for years, everyone knew that it was, while it looked good, it was just too lofty to implement in a country like Sudan where, as I said earlier, the army is never far from the political scene. Now, where do civilian politicians, pro-democracy activists stand vis-a-vis what happened in the last few days? Well, they're going through the motions of calling for a ceasefire. They're going through the motions by calling for dialogue. But many of them are just waiting on the fence to see how this pans out. They don't have a stake in that. And they're waiting for one party to emerge victorious. And from what I've been told by activists in Khartoum, they're waiting for that moment so they can start rallying on the streets against the victorious party. You have to bear in mind that if RSF wins this battle, the RSF is not going to live up to its pledges of democratic rule or civilian-led government. Absolutely not. If the army wins this battle, also it will be a new ball game, and they will very, they will be very, very reluctant to honor the provisions of that initial agreement reached in December and step aside and let a civilian prime minister be what amounts to the supreme commander of the armed forces, because that's what's being envisaged, a system that mirrors systems in some of the old democracies in the West, that a civilian 
is indeed the, the commander-in-chief of the armed forces. Now, the, the, the military in Sudan is an establishment. It's, it's hard to imagine them accepting such a formula. I will do anything in my hands and possible to uh, avoid this catastrophic situation. Mm-hmm. I've never stopped. Try. I've been talking to them, talking to all the partners, whether it's the US or UK, Europe, the Africans, been in, in touch with the IGAD, which they are having a summit today, talk to the African Union, to uh, the leaders in the region, hearing the leadership here in, in UAE and other places, and I will continue this effort. How, how have you seen the response from the UAE and Saudi Arabia to Excellent. this? Excellent. Okay. You just heard former Prime Minister Abdullah Hamdok, who was speaking to me on Sunday following a press conference in Abu Dhabi. He was detained by Sudan's military outfits in 2021 and is now calling for the warring sides to sit down on the negotiating table. He also said at that conference that any winner of this war is effectively a loser. Hamza, would you agree? He was prime minister for a little more than two years, if I remember correctly. He left the country in 2021 after the coup and had not been back in Sudan since. I think it is his moral duty to call for a ceasefire. And I think what he said about the winner is a loser, that, that is very true. Thank you, Hamza. That was a lot to unpack and very insightful. Head to thenationalnews.com where we'll be monitoring the situation closely and keeping you informed as it all unfolds. Stay up to date on our latest podcasts by subscribing and tell all your friends too. This is Beyond the Headlines. I've been your host, Nada Al-Tahir. This episode was produced by Arthur Edison and Dua Farid.